Welcome to The Bounce Podcast. I'm Bob Lapine. I'm the lead pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, and part of the Great Commission Collective of Churches. I'll tell you more about GCC in just a minute. The Bounce, this podcast is about helping pastors bounce back because we face all kinds of challenges and pitfalls. There are obstacles that we face as pastors and we have to be resilient. We have to bounce back. It's part of what God's called us to. So we hope this podcast will help you bounce back effectively when you face challenges in ministry. As I said, the Bounce Podcast is brought to you by the Great Commission Collective. GCC is a collective of like-minded churches who partner together. We want to plant churches, but we also want to help build elder teams that not only know how to plant a church, but how to strengthen that church as well, how that church can flourish. So we're all about planting churches and strengthening leaders. That's what GCC's mission is. You can find out more on our website, which is gccollective.org, gccollective.org. There are distinctives, both theological and practical distinctives that bring us together as partner churches in the GCC. Go to gccollective.org if you're not already a part of the Great Commission Collective. Now, today we're going to talk about what can be a challenging time in the life of a church. I think of the number of stories I've heard over the years about the pastor who was hired to step into a role that has been occupied by a longtime, well-loved leader. If you're that guy who's being brought in to follow a local legend, somebody who has been beloved in a local church, there are all kinds of hidden obstacles that could be ahead for you. That's what happened recently for Micah Clutinati. Micah is married to his wife, Nicole. They are raising four children. Micah is, this year, the new lead pastor at Gospel City Church in suburban South Bend, Indiana. Micah served there for 13 years as the worship pastor, and when the lead pastor, Trent Griffith, took a new assignment, the elders turned to Micah and said, we believe you are the man God has raised up to step into the lead role. There were challenges. There were lots of things that had to be weighed out in all of that. But ultimately, Micah followed their leadership, stepped into that role, and we're going to hear about his transition journey and about some of the obstacles that presented themselves along the way as Micah began this transition. Yeah, so I've been involved in the church my whole life because my parents, you know, just grew up in a Christian home, God's grace in that. I never really saw worship pastoring. and I grew up in a smaller church out of Pittsburgh, and so it was in 2005. You know, I was serving in youth group and all those kinds of things, but I just grew up in a Christian home. That's what you do. And in 2005, my pastor out of Pittsburgh, his name was Pastor Bob, he took me to a conference, straight up conference, which was a pastor's conference. So I was graduating high school, and that was the first time that I really saw pastors having some of the gifts that I have, young pastors, 
using music, shepherding through creativity and worship. And it was at that conference that the Lord put a call in my heart, like, hey, put your creativity, put your desire for music, put those things in the back seat, get a love for the local church. And John 4, 23 and 24 was really encouraging to me in that season, because if the Father is seeking worshipers of spirit and truth, then there needs to be people who are like, I want to help the church produce passionate, contagious worshipers of Jesus Christ. And so it was from there that I threw my life into uh, local church ministry and went on to school and moved toward becoming a pastor. And you mentioned music being at the center of all of this. You grew up playing music. Did you have pop star dreams? <laughs> I did, Yeah, absolutely. You always have that, like, make it big is the the phrase, yeah. I think. And so... There was that. I was, you know, in eighth grade, I started writing songs. I got in local bands. Our bands were always Christian bands, kind of stemmed out of youth groups. So we would lead worship, try to write songs. My dad and mom hosted Bible study in our house ever since I was born. And my dad would lead worship on a 12-string acoustic guitar. And so that just ministered to me, Maranatha songs and Keith Green and lots of hymns and different things like that sitting in a circle. And so it was always sort of a part of the culture of our family. I'm the oldest of six kids and we're all fairly musical. It came easy. And so as we started getting a love for the Lord and a love for music, it just started becoming a, a passionate thing that was a blessing to our family. And so, yeah, the Lord's used it. At some point in that journey for you, you had a sense that leading worship was more than leading songs, because I've been in environments where you have been the worship leader, and it's clear that you see the role of a worship leader as a lot more than being a song leader. Talk about that for just a second. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely passionate about that. I think that the worship pastor role is a shepherding role. And it's not just providing songs in the mouths of the people that come to a church, but it's filling the mouths and hearts and understanding of people with theological truths that will shape their understanding of who God is, shape their understanding of salvation. It puts words in the mouths of saints so that they can express to God a love for what he's done for them. And so any sin issue in our lives is really a worship disorder. It takes some skilled musicianship to probably pull off the music and the creativity that often accompanies our services and churches. But a heart of worship is always rooted in holiness, is always rooted in the Word of God, is always rooted in the sinfulness of man repenting and believing in the gospel. And so as that started to spark in my life and I saw great examples of it and just started to get a hunger for the word of God, my worship desire started to grow. And it wasn't because of the music. It was because of a love for God and an understanding of his word and theology and who he is. And that stokes the fire of worship. And so if God was doing that in me, I was like, man, I want to help the local church do that. And whoever comes steps foot into the church, yeah, they might be drawn to the music, but eventually they're going to be confronted with their own sinfulness, their own desire for the holiness of God. And in believing the gospel, worshipers are made. And so I love that whole concept. I, I had a couple of friends years ago who moved to Nashville to plant a church in Nashville. And I told them before they left, I said, okay, in Nashville, you know, there are skilled musicians everywhere. 
And when it comes time for you to hire someone to be a worship pastor, I said, don't hire a great musician who loves Jesus. Hire a theologian who's good at music. That's right. And, and I thought, I've been in those environments where there are great musicians who are wonderful with their musical gifts, but thin in their theological understanding. And, <laughs> yeah. and they can move you emotionally, but that's about all yeah. they can do, right? Sure. Did you think that the path for you going forward was going to be, I'll be a worship pastor because God's gifted me with musical ability and I need to steward that. And that's probably what I'll be doing in ministry throughout my lifetime. Yeah. From that straight up conference in 2005, like I hadn't seen a worship pastor. I hadn't seen the guy with the guitar pastoring through music. And so in experiencing that, I was like, oh, that's a thing. I would love to do that for a living. And seeking counsel from some of those guys, it was like, hey, yeah, go to school. Here's some great programs. I ended up at Liberty University in their worship and music studies program. I took a minor in biblical studies because I knew like I wanted to shape the pastoral side of me. But I had like a competency in musicianship and singing and all of that that I was just bringing to the table and organization of services and all of that was kind of coming along. And so even in graduating from Liberty, I was pretty adamant about the title worship pastor. I wanted to be a pastor in a local church. I wanted to shepherd through music and through creativity. When I got in that role, it's been a blessing. I've gotten to lead different places, got to lead a lot of different spaces. Our church has grown. We have a passionate, contagious, worshiping church. People sing. And if I'm being honest, I feel very comfortable behind a microphone with a guitar and a Bible and singing and putting together services of worship. That is a major comfort zone for me. And I've enjoyed doing it for 13 years at Gospel City Church. And, and that's where you've been in ministry throughout your ministry background. You've been at one church, Gospel City in South yep. Bend, contented in, in that role as a worship pastor, like you said, very comfortable using your gifts, and then right. all of a sudden, the planting pastor, our mutual friend Trent Griffith, yeah. comes and says, we believe God's got a new call for us, and we're going to be transitioning out here. Talk about how that news hit you, because you'd been co-laborers for 13 years. I mean, the news was somewhat I assumed at some point the Lord would move one of us on, you know, and you're locked armed and you're kind of just doing life together. And, and neither of us are from South Bend, Indiana, and we both sort of answered a call to come here and just follow the Lord in faith. And God gave us so many years of fruitful ministry together. You know, as the worship pastor, he, I would get the chance to preach every now and then. And in like 2014, 15, 16, it was probably once or twice a year, you know, you get thrown the, hey, preach on worship this weekend thing. And uh, I and was then, always like. And then Labor Day. And then we, we got to, can you yeah, cover yeah, the yeah. Sunday after Christmas? Yeah. yeah. And we had other pastors, you know, so I would do it and I'd preach on kind of like passionate things. And so it would kind of flow. But I remember a lot of times wanting to say no when I would get asked to preach because the weight of it, the pressure. And I didn't feel ever efficient in it and sufficient for it. And I remember I came into 2019 just saying, Lord, I'm going to say yes when I get asked to preach no matter what. 
if it's a bad week in the schedule, if it's a bad week for my family, I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to do it out of obedience and just see what you're continuing to do in me. And it was those couple years of 2018, 2019, maybe preaching three or four times and in kind of enduring the process of it that the Lord started to give me a love for it. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming into 2021 with a new kind of mindset, asking the Lord for more opportunities to preach. So it went from, I'm going to be obedient and say yes, reluctantly, to I'm going to ask God for more opportunities for the pulpit and preaching. And it was in 2021 that I ended up getting like the first Sunday of the year and shortly after that. And Pastor Trent had some life stuff going on in his family situation where the Lord put me in the pulpit and that was just stoking like this fire of, oh, wow, I'm enjoying this. I'm seeing fruit. I'm being stretched in my own faith. And all through that process, I'm journaling about a possibility of Mm. could the Lord be doing something in my heart? Could I see myself being a pastor one day that primarily preaches a lead pastor? And that idea was put in my heart and I have so many things written down and, you know, fast forward to May, I was about to go on a sabbatical and it was like the week before my sabbatical that Trent said, I got an offer from family life and I'm like, wow, should I go on this sabbatical? Cause that feels really inconvenient. And yet I trusted the Lord. Psalm 23, he leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down. And I was just like, okay, God knows the timing. And maybe this is a timing where God's going to do something in me. And so all through that summer process, the Lord lined it up perfectly. Trent was here working out his things with our elders. He was here that whole time in the pulpit. The week before I came back from sabbatical is the week that he accepted the role at Family Life. And my first Sunday back was the Sunday that he announced that he was uh, taking the role at Family Life. So while you're on sabbatical, knowing that he's leaving, you're starting to think, could I be the guy for Gospel City, right? That was absolutely in there. Yeah, and I had written some of those things down and journaled about it. And so I kind of went in to the sabbatical wondering, is there going to be a transition for me? And is that why this timing's all here? And could I be a lead pastor at Gospel City Church? Seems like a major shift, seems like a major exchange. And yet, could that be what the Lord is doing? And that time was just a great, you know, honestly, it was a lot of thought. My wife and I talked about that way too much. We prayed about it, but I also sought the Lord in a season where I was taken away from the ministry, and I think that that was just a very valuable season for the Lord to do some stuff in my own heart and reveal things. And part of what you had to wrestle with is you've got this musical gift. God has already affirmed that gifting and shown favor on that. To move into a teaching pastor, a lead pastor role would be to put that gift off to the side, not put it away, but off to the side. And you had to wrestle with, am I stewarding the gift God's given me if I set that aside? Yeah, I did. And it's funny because it was like I had a desire through the sabbatical and like, could this be a possibility and could the Lord be moving me to that role? I wasn't thinking so much about the musical gift and setting it aside yet. And then when I got back, 
and we entered a season where, okay, I started fulfilling the pulpit and I did step aside. And then as the conversations got more and more serious, I started having the freak out moment a little bit of, oh man, I'm going to have to pry my fingers loose of some of these gifts that I really love and gifts that I've grown really comfortable in. And if I'm being honest, stepping up and leading with a guitar and pastoring people, I don't have to put a whole lot of thought into that anymore. It just flows out of me. And preaching is is a brutal process sometimes. I really wrestled through that, and the Lord has wrecked me through a season of just sacrifice and surrender. There were a few moments where I was just leading worship, knowing that this was coming, and kind of in the final stages where I was just like very emotional and like, are you sure you want me to lay this down, Lord? <laughs> like, this is what I have to offer you. And yet the reality is anything that we have to offer God is measly and only Jesus takes the things that we can offer and offers them wholly to, to the Lord. And so I'm learning a lot through sacrifice and surrender and stepping into the things that you don't always feel comfortable with and seeing the Lord work that out for his good. All of what we've talked about up until this point really is a foundation. It's a background for what you've been through that more often than not is a pathway that is, that there are landmines all over the place as you're heading down this pathway. I mean, I, I don't know how many pastors I've talked to who followed the lead planting beloved founding pastor of a church. They were number two. And the typical trajectory is you come in as number two, and there's this honeymoon that happens, and then pretty quickly, you're never the guy that number one was, and people start to turn on you, and people start leaving the church and all of that. Did you anticipate that some of those things might be ahead? Had you done the calculus to go, I could just be Isaac being put on the altar and there's no <laughs> ram and the, they'll, they'll get the ram after I'm dead, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I have very much thought through that and thought about it. I feel like we have a unique situation in some ways. Our church has been so gracious and people have been super kind thus far. And it's just been a great kind of step stepping stone. Our elders did a great job through the transition and those sorts of things. That being said, there's obviously anytime a transition happens, you know, stuff rises to the surface. There's things that change, conversations that happen. I've thought about that. I don't look back right now and say, I definitely shouldn't have done this. I should be the worship guy. I just feel as if I walked with the Lord through it and he moved these pieces and I think our elders did a great job walking with me and allowing me to kind of stall it. And they stalled it so that we could just be sure and wait on the Lord. And it has felt like something that God orchestrated and has done. And we've preached through Acts. And so just very timely in a year of transition and Paul's exhortation to the Ephesian elders of, I don't count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, but to finish the race and to be faithful with, to the ministry that the Lord has given me. That's how I feel. It's not like I wanted this so bad and I had to have it. It's kind of like, I feel like the Lord gave it to me and I don't count my life of value. 
nor, nor is precious. And I'm learning to do that more and more. And so I see this role as just being very open-handed, trusting the spirit to lead the way. And I'm just trying to be in step with him, very cognitive of my own insufficiencies in those. You're a different guy than Trent. You've got different skills, sure. different gifts, different abilities. That's always going to be the case when there's a pastoral transition like this. And some of that is celebrated because people go, oh, you're, you're filling in some of the gaps that were what we were missing before. At the same time, there are some things I'm sure that Trent was super competent in that are not your competencies. And people go, well, we just thought you'd be really good at this. Have, have you felt some of that comparison weight where you're aware I'm not the guy Trent was in these particular areas? Yeah, I think the biggest majority, I put that on myself. Like, I definitely, I'm an achiever by nature. And so I like to play the role. I like to do well at the role. I like to lean into the places that I see a gap. And I've noticed the gaps where I think Trent is such a gifted communicator. Trent is very natural in those things, calculated in some of the leadership decisions and and in communicating in like an elder setting. And the, those things have all been very new to me. Things like casting vision and all of those are very new. And so I've put the weight on my own shoulders a little bit of, am I going to be able to do this as good as Pastor Trent did it? Will I be able to lean into this the way that I want to? And those sorts of things. I haven't felt that too much from our elders or from our congregation by the grace of God. People have been very gracious. I think some think, man, your superpower is leading worship. What are you doing at this stage of your life trading that in for this? And I'm just like, I don't know. I'm just opening my hands to the Lord and trusting that he's leading the way. And I see his faithfulness in it, too, as we take it day by day. You've undoubtedly heard of some families, some people who have left the church since you took over and the back channel kind of, yeah, they left. They just, they couldn't click with Micah's style mm -hmm. or whatever. So how do you process that? How do you tell yourself the truth in the middle of those moments? What do you do with that? Yeah, it hasn't been awful. Like I said, I think there's been a lot of unity in a year of transition. We even just had our year-end rally with everyone on one field in a service. And we talked about that, man, in a year of transition, there's a lot of room for disunity. And I believe the Lord has been gracious to us this year. There has been some people who have moved on. There's been some people who have gone to do other things. And the first thing, when I start to get overwhelmed or have feelings or emotions in it, I'm learning, don't underestimate the power of prayer. I found myself in this season more than ever stopping and saying, speak, Lord, or acts was so valuable to me. And just seeing that all these acts of the apostles was under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so every day that my feet hit the ground is an opportunity to say, come Holy Spirit, fill me fresh and anew and lead me in these things. There are things every day that make me feel overwhelmed. And so prayer is the first thing. And then I think writing things helps me clarify things. And so it causes me to stop. If I don't do that, I get overwhelmed. 
And when the overwhelm's up, the clarity's down and my feelings and emotions get out of whack. And so I'm learning to stop and write and process in a biblical way, in a helpful way. And then just being honest and trying to bring as much humility as I can to the different parties, even to the congregation in this season, I felt like I'm going to show you what's in my head and in my heart as much as I can in a way that lets you know I'm following the Lord and processing these things with the Spirit. I've seen that unite me with the congregation some and even lead us through different opinions and those kinds of things. If you got a call today from somebody who was today where you were three years ago, they've been on staff at a church, they've just heard the lead guy is going somewhere, there's conversation that they might be asked to move into that role, they have some interest in that role, they just said, coach me, give me some pointers, give me some tips on things I need to be aware of, and what have you learned in the journey that you would say, just keep your antenna up for this, and here's how I'd encourage you to go forward. Yeah, I think you have to get alone with the Lord. And like I said, writing is huge for me. It was very helpful that there were so many pages written that I feel like the Lord fulfilled in a lot of ways. And I think that's just an overflow of spending time with the Lord, writing down the desires of your hearts, measuring them with scripture, and then trusting the Lord to number your steps and lead the way. I think you got to get some counsel around you. So outside counsel, outside of the church. I would say get a few people to give you counsel and not too many people to give you counsel. The more you let into those kinds of conversations, the cloudier it gets or the more confusing it seems to get. And you can just spin your wheel and then it makes it impossible to make decisions. So a few trusted people that can speak into your life. I also think you have to walk honestly and humbly with the elders and the leaders that God has placed inside of your church. That can be a hard place to step into. There's different kinds of emotions in that. You don't know everybody the way that maybe the former pastor knew the elders and things. And so uh, a lot of it is just being honest about that. I think what I have found is the elders here, while they didn't know me the way that they knew Trent, they were thankful when I was honest about where I stood with them, what I was feeling, and what I was thinking, what I was fearful of even, or frustrated by even. And so I think you just have to approach the people trusting that God's put the right people in your paths, and they're there for a reason. And as long as they're looking to Christ, God will get this done, and uh, you can trust Him. My wife always reminds me, thankfully, that there's nothing that man can withhold from us that God doesn't desire and that God gives the kingdoms of men to whomever he wishes and he turns the hearts of kings. And so God's sovereignty plays so much. And yet so often my emotions feel like I'm trying to rule the thing. And so it is just a steady reliance and slow obedience in the right direction as you just follow the Lord in those things. It's one thing for a new pastor stepping in following a founding pastor to come in and say, let's keep the momentum going. Let's keep a good thing going in the right direction. I'm here just to kind of keep the ball rolling. 
the way it's always been rolling. But there comes a point where that new guy says, I think God's calling us to some new things, to some new initiatives or new outreaches, new opportunities. And now all of a sudden, you are the guy who's saying, I think we should go here. And as long as you were executing somebody else's vision, everybody was kind of like, if you're doing that competently, we're good. But as soon as you step up and say, I think this is what the Lord has for us, people start to go, now, wait, can we trust you to be that kind of leader to take us into new places? You're, what, a year into this process now as the lead pastor? Kind of. I just got installed as lead pastor Palm Sunday. So it's really okay. only been five months. So you're probably still laying back a little bit and just surveying the land, but I'm sure God's starting to put some ideas in your heart to say, I think we need to go here or that. Does that intimidate you? The idea of stepping up and saying, God's called me to lead and I'm going to do that and we'll see who follows. When I first came in, I think that was where some of the insecurity was. And I had some outside counsel say, you're going to be tempted to try to solve all those kinds of things and take on all those kinds of things right away. They encouraged me to take kind of a phased approach where phase one is just, I'm not taking extra meetings. I'm just learning to love my family and I'm learning to preach the word well, and I'm trying to be healthy. And then phase two, which came in the middle of summer, was starting to get some future thinking starting to communicate well with staff, navigate, okay, I got moved. What other moves can we make in the organization and those sorts of things? And then phase three, we'll start thinking future a little bit, and that'll be in the fall. This is my first fall as a lead pastor, which for us is like kickoff time. Yeah, right. The theme changes. I even went into the summer knowing we're going to end acts. What are we going to do next? And I had never led that charge. Right. And yet, it was cool. We prayed about it. And what I found is trust your instincts. Like there were some instinctual things that I just was drawn to and thought of. And as I started to dig into those, I saw the Lord confirming them through other pastors, through other conversations, through people who are reading and memorizing other things. And the momentum through even this summer series that we just finished it was really cool. It felt like the Lord's hands were all over it. And so I think we make a bigger deal probably of those big vision casting things in our minds sometimes. And sometimes it's like, no, it's trusting the Lord with the small thing and he'll put the momentum behind it. And so I'm coming into the fall ready to kick off a new year, just open-handed trusting that God's got this. And I'm excited because I think I've just seen good things happen from dependence on the Lord. And that's really kind of where this theme's going as we jump into Ephesians in the fall. I'm getting excited about that. And the Lord is is stirring ideas and is stirring a love for what's next in three years and five years. But I'm waiting on the Lord in those things and trusting that he'll give them in the right time. Hearing your story, one of the things that jumps out at me is you're blessed by God to have healthy, godly, functioning elders who are not just rubber stamp guys, not trying to build their own empires or their own kingdoms. I'm thinking of so many guys who have gone through what you've gone through without the blessing of a healthy, mature elder board to lead them. And they're thinking, man, I'd give anything for that. 
I think with regard to that, it's important for all of us as pastors to recognize building a strong, healthy plurality of leaders, elders who understand the biblical call and qualifications. This is going to be essential for every step of your church's life, but especially the transition step, because the glue that has kept your church healthy and vibrant has been a congregation that looks to the elders for leadership, that trusts the elders, that the elders are leading well, they're humble. You know, at the Great Commission Collective, healthy pluralities is one of those things that we, it's a distinctive for us. We feel passionate about this. But your story is a testimony to the fact that there's a reason why healthy pluralities matter. Yeah. And you know what, Bob? I think the transition year actually forged a healthy plurality culture to another degree because it forced lay elders to step into the role of making calls and making decisions. And we've had that. There's been a culture of humility at this church. But when you when there's a transition of a leader and a visionary who's been there from the beginning, it causes everybody to sort of say, oh, who's going to step up and who's going right. to take the reins? And so it was a slow process. And for an achiever like me, I can get frustrated sometimes with slow. And yet the Lord keeps showing me, oh, there is so much wisdom in praying and seeking counsel and listening and then praying and seeking counsel and listening again. And uh, what feels like a long time is actually usually a short time when the Lord gets something done. And so it's just been awesome to watch our plurality of elders and the culture of plurality at our church just grow. We've been thinking through great things and it's being strengthened in a really healthy way. And so all of that's not easy stuff, but we are very blessed at Gospel City with that. One last question. You're in the worship service every Sunday watching somebody new be the worship pastor, something you're uber competent in, something you're gifted in, something that comes naturally to you. And there are got to be Sundays you're sitting there going, oh, no, no, we shouldn't have done. Oh, why didn't you do the transition there could have been, why didn't you read this verse? So how are you handling not being the worship pastor and the lead pastor simultaneously? Well, number one, we're super blessed with a deep bench of gifted worship leaders and musicians. And so I have a lot of confidence in um, my buddy Brent that moved into the worship pastor position and he's just taking that team and he's running with it, doing a fantastic job. And so a lot of times uh, the Lord's kind of taught me if, if I can get out of the way, he's not dependent on my gift, he'll fill the role. And so I do think that's been a cool, I think if I was in that position, there are people currently doing it that probably wouldn't have stepped into it. And so there are new gifts being developed and there are new leaders and shepherds growing because of me being moved out of the way. And I can get behind that all day long and be a champion of that. You know, sometimes I scratch my head like, ah, Lord, I can do that so easily. And yet I'm also being stretched by the people who do it differently than I would. <laughs> and whenever the Lord meets me in the worship service through their interpretation of how they're leading, I'm like getting a deeper sense of the spirit and how God works and how God moves. And so it's 
actually making me a, a better worshiper of the Lord by not being in that role, I think. It's uh, more stretching and sometimes painful, I guess, but I see the Lord working through it, and that's a beautiful thing. I wouldn't trade that. Well, it's been great today to have the opportunity to hear from Micah Clutonati. Micah is the lead pastor at Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. There's a link to the Gospel City Church website in our show notes. And Gospel City Church is one of the churches that is a part of the Great Commission Collective of Churches. Once again, if you'd like to find out more about GCC, the Great Commission Collective, where we plant churches and strengthen leaders, that's our goal. You can find our website. It's also linked in the show notes or go to gccollective.org. Now, on our next episode, we're going to talk about why theology needs to be highlighted in a local church, why theology matters. Jeremy Kimball joins us next time, and I hope you can join us again on the next edition of The Bounce Podcast. <laughs>